Church. How you doing? Come on. Man, it's good to see you. Man, we got lots of new faces in the house. How many of you parents excited about back to school? And what I'm most excited about is I pray to the Lord to send rain. How many of you guys are excited about the rain? Come on. Come on. It's so good. It's so good. It looks like a desert in Texas. Super excited that it's raining. For those of you who may be visiting with us for the first time or the first time in a while, my name's Stephen, and I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, super glad that you're here. As a matter of fact, you're here as we're closing out a current series that we started four weeks ago through the book of 1 John. We're going to close out that message, and we're going to start a new series uh, next week uh, called This Means War. I'll talk a little bit more about that at the end of service. But before we go any further, I want to take a moment in service to appreciate and then to pray for uh, all of our teachers. Will you stand up? Come on, give it up for our teachers. Stand up, stand up, stay standing, stay standing. Okay, I want all of our parents of a student in school, stand up please, parents, 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 stand up, come on, come on, give it up for our parents. They have to put up with those kids when they're not with you teachers, come on. And then we finally have students, where are the students? Come on, stand up, come on, Let's give it up for our students. Man, I'm gonna take a moment just to pray for you at the beginning of service, stay standing, stay standing, I know. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much. Matter of fact, everyone who's sitting, will you put your hands, uh, kind of reach your hands towards those uh, closest to you and let's pray this together. God, I thank you so much for everything that you're doing in our community. I thank you for what a blessing it is to have teachers who love God, for what a blessing it is to have parents who are committed to raising their kids up in a way that honors God and to have students who have made time to grow in their relationship with God. Lord, you're gonna need, they're gonna need you this school year and I pray that your Holy Spirit would just be with them, in them, and come upon them, Lord, to shine great light in our school district. There's never been a time in our history where our school system has needed this much light. Lord, we pray that it comes through these men and women that love Jesus. May everything they do bring glory and honor to you. When they fall short, we thank you for your grace to get back up and to start again. We're gonna have the greatest school year ever in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. All right, come on. You guys can go and sit down. Thank you so much. So we started a series uh, about four weeks ago through the New Testament book of 1 John. I've said this in every single week because I want you to remember it. When you're reading the Bible, it's extremely important that you understand the audience. Who was the letter or the literature written to? There are always three audiences in Scripture. Okay, the first is a Jewish audience audience, okay, if you are not uh, Jewish or you're not a part of the nation of Israel, chances are it's not talking to you specifically. Uh, Then there are as everybody else, which are called Gentiles in the Bible, okay, Gentiles. And then there are those that are in the church. There are letters written directly from the book of Acts, written by the disciples who turned apostles to the local church. First John is a letter to the church. It would have been written in an environment a lot like this, probably with less AC and a lot more flip-flops. Come on, the Middle East. Okay, but it would have been written to, to the church. And it would have been written in a response to all kinds of problems. Okay, some of y'all think, man, we need a little more space. Venice Church does have a space problem. Okay, as the church grows and it develops and it moves in uh, God's power and authority, guess what? There are problems that happen. There are situations that arise. And this letter was written in direct response to a letter describing all kinds of problems. John reads the letter and graciously uh, puts it away in his drawer and then writes practically what it looks like to be a Christian. The first century church really struggled with their faith in regards to culture. What did it look like 
uh, to be a loving Christian, a forgiving Christian, what it looked like to be a, 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 a truthful, honest believer. And so John essentially pins this letter and he talks about four unmistakable characteristics of a Christian. I've said this again every single week, but how many of you know there's a lot more people who say they're a Christian than that are actually Christian? Okay, it's a struggle today and it's a struggle then. And John just wanted to bring all of the body of Christ back together on what the main things were. That's what this letter is for. And I believe more than ever before, we need to come back to the main thing about Christianity, who we are, how do we live out our faith. I'm going to do just a quick recap, but I want to encourage you, if you missed any of the messages, to go back in the Vintage Church app. Yes, we have an app. We have all of our past messages there. No, you can't watch them live because we want you to come to church or go to a church when you're out of town, okay? But they're always updated the next week. We have all of the first three. The first week, we talked about unmistakable forgiveness. John starts his letter, and before he jumps into all the things that we need to do and think about, he says we need to remember that Jesus has completely forgiven us. That on the cross, when Jesus says it is finished, he meant it is finished. Past, present, and future sin was nailed to the cross. Now that's an attribute of God that's really hard for us to understand. It's the omnipresence of God. Somehow he's in the past, in the present, in the future. Somehow on that cross, when he said it was finished and gave up his soul, gave up his spirit, all right, your sin, even in, the, in this century, was completely Forgiven. He starts there because like today, like then, believers are being gaslit all over the place. The, one of the names for Satan is the accuser of the brethren. A lot of people wonder, like, why, Jesus, why isn't Jesus here? Why did he have to go next to the Father? The Bible says he's seated as our advocate or attorney next to God, that every time the devil comes and tries to accuse you of something as a believer, Jesus just shows them the palms of his hands. And he points to the wound in his side, and he says, you have no authority. We learned week one that for us to live the life that God's created us to live, we've got to be rid of the shame that comes with sin. Now, that doesn't mean we still don't deal with sin, and we do deal with sin. He talks a lot about that, but that means sin no longer has the final say in our life. He says one of the things that's, mistake, that's unmistakable about the believer is they are 100% forgiven. We discovered this term, this theological idea called justification. Your sins were nailed to the cross. Then he goes on, and he talks right from forgiveness. He says, what should we do with that forgiveness? Uh, the Apostle Paul would say, should we just sin that grace should abound? No. He says we actually grow. How do we do that? John says it's through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. A believer should have the unmistakable presence of the Holy Spirit in their life. We talked about the threefold relationship that as a believer you have with the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is one of the parts of the Trinity. All of the power uh, of, of Jesus' miracles, even the very power of the resurrection, was the result of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus ascends to heaven, the Bible says in the book of Acts, he sent his spirit right down to us. There's three ways that we interact with the Spirit. First, he said the Holy Spirit is with us. So that person that you're praying that comes to know Christ that situation that you're praying uh, with that other person at work that's difficult, the Holy Spirit's actually cooperating with you so that it all works out and it goes right. You, the fact that you even know Jesus is a result of the Holy Spirit drawing you to God. The Holy Spirit's drawing those wayward relatives and those friends that you're believing for Jesus. You're not alone. The Bible says the Holy Spirit's with you. Then there's a deeper relationship that we have as Christians, and that's the Holy Spirit is 
in us. The Bible says the Holy Spirit's not meant to just be with us as believers, but when we give our life to Christ, at the moment we surrender our lives to Jesus, he now becomes a a part inside of us. The Bible says that there's a measure of the Holy Spirit inside every single one of us. This is why worship is better in a room like this than by yourself in a car. Why is that? Because God's people get together. Every one of them has a piece of the Holy Spirit testifying to the truth, building their faith. This is why church will never happen online. You can consume online, but you cannot experience the full anointing of the Holy Spirit in you unless you are connected to other believers. And that's very, very powerful. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit in us. How many of you have ever faced a situation where you needed to hear the voice of God or you needed the power of God in your life? Okay, Bible says you don't have to go to a preacher. You don't have to go through an intermediate. Jesus is once and for all our intermediate. You now have the very, very power and presence of God inside of you speaking and testifying to what is true. Then we learned about this third relationship we have with the Holy Spirit called uh, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you as Christians. You know, there are going to be things that happen in our life that we don't see coming. There are going to be situations that happen to you that are right outside that door that no matter how much you plan for, they will feel like they just hit you like a ton of bricks. The Bible says one of the role of the Holy Spirit in our life is in those moments where we couldn't possibly know the future because we don't live there. The Holy Spirit's there with us. And in that moment, he will come in power upon us through spiritual gifts, all kinds of spiritual gifts. You should study them in Corinthians. We should remember to be thankful for the rain, okay? We've been praying for this. We've been praying for this. So we talked in week two, John says, hey, you don't just move from forgiveness to just like sit back on your, you know, holy assurance, you know what I'm saying? He says, you got to get busy. How do you do that? You empower, you allow the Holy Spirit to empower you in the body. Last week, we talked about unmistakable love, not the world love, but agape, God's love. And we talked about how as believers, we're always operating from the love of God. We don't redefine love. We don't, we, don't re, right? we don't re-articulate it. it. It doesn't come from us. It comes from God through us to the world. That means we got to start with God's definition of love and move through that. We learned about that last week. Very, very important that you understand that John, just like any letter you would read or any movie you would watch, it's not all out of order. There is an order to what he's talking about. He talks about forgiveness. He talks about anointing. He talks about love. And he wraps it all up talking about discernment. Talking about discernment or the ability from the forgiveness, right, through the anointing, through the love, to get to you and I understanding what is a truth and what is a lie. First John chapter 4, verse 1 through 6 Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test. Everyone say test. But test the spirits to see if they are from God. Meaning that not every spirit that's in this world or around you is from God. It's our our responsibility to know how to test what is right and wrong. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world, this is how you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming in the book of Revelation, but even now is already here in spirit in the world. He goes on in verse 4 to say, You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them. Because the one who is in you is greater. I'm going to say greater. Is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore what they say is from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Anyone who knows God listens 
to us. Anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. Here's how John ends his letter. He goes back through the filter of everything we've learned, and he says, ultimately, our responsibility, something that makes us unmistakable as believers, is to be able to tell the truth from the lie. It's to be able to discern the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. And there are only two spirits. It is either the truth founded on God's word, or it is the lie through deception through our enemy. Truth and deception. There's a couple Greek words here that I want to point out to you. I will not try to pronounce them because I'll destroy them. Okay, but the word test in the Greek is defined as to test, examine, prove, scrutinize, to see whether a thing is genuine or not. It's essentially the ability to tell a counterfeit. In order for there to be a counterfeit, there has to be something real, meaning that you can't even tell what is fake if you don't know what is real. The foundation is truth. We're to test. I, I, I'm a, I studied American history uh, growing up, and, and, and when the gold rush started, they, they found authentic gold, but as time went on, they actually found up in the mountains another type of gold, which wasn't gold at all. Does anybody know what it was called? Fool's gold. And the fool is the person who built their life and their fortune on that kind of gold. And so, so the, word, the word test is something that we do as believers. The second word is spirits. That word is pneuma in the Greek. I can pronounce that one. And normally when we think of this, it's, it's, it's like an evil spirit or maybe the Holy Spirit. But in the context that John is using here, he actually is defining it as the source of any power, affection, or thought, or emotion. We say this a lot in our church. Listen, feelings may be real, but they're rarely ever your friend long term. Okay, they, re- they, they may be real to you. You might really, really feel them. Okay, but they rarely, if ever, tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth because they're likely not from God, right? Our feelings manipulate our actions. So John's saying it's not just evil spirit, spirit of God. He's saying even your spirit, you should be able to know where emotions come from and how they well up and where they belong. That, that ability is actually called discernment. It's when we, by the spirit of God, distinguish and judge the source of something. We're called by God to live with unmistakable discernment. You know, as I think about discernment over the years, I don't know what it is, but my wife has always had an uncanny ability from God to be able to see through uh, things that I can't see. Okay, she, I don't know, we call this a, a, her BS meter. You know, she, she just, it's like she just knows. She can sit down with somebody and I'm totally sold out on them and she just looks and goes, there's something off. There's just something not right. It's just, there was a way that they phrased that that I think you need to dig a little deeper into. And over the years, here's what I've learned. Every time that I've just, oh, you know what, no big deal. I haven't tested, I haven't leaned in to that advice. I've almost always suffered harm. This is actually how this works for the believer. God will warn us with discernment on how to avoid or at least identify problems that come at us. So when John writes out this letter, he talks about three keys to unmistakable discernment. There's three things that you're going to use, really three questions that you've got to ask and settle in your heart to be able to rightly know, is this the right way or the wrong way? Is this truth or this a lie? And the first one is this one, very important if you're taking notes. You've got to answer this question. Who is Christ to me? Who is Christ to me? 1 John 4, 2, this is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus 
is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you've heard is coming, even now is already in the world. Who is Christ to me? Not to my grandparents, not to my pastor, not to my friend, not even to my spouse, but who is Jesus to me? And there are lots of answers to that. There are a lot of people who think different things about Jesus. Some of the greatest Christian cults, some of the greatest heresies in Scripture don't answer this question correctly. Jesus is walking and he even asks his disciples, what does the world say about me? You know, the world around us says a lot about who Jesus is. You know, he's a good man. He's a prophet, right? There's even t-shirts that say, Jesus is my homeboy. Have y'all seen that? But at the end of the day, we've got to answer the question, not what do people say about Jesus, but who is Jesus to me? First John 4, 6 says, I am, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm not just your buddy, your friend, or a prophet. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is very important when you're trying to tell truth from a lie. We live in a culture that sees really Jesus and really truth as this melting pot of ideas. You have your truth, I have my truth. All religions lead to God. Christianity is just one among many, many options. The reality is Jesus is more than just a prophet or a teacher. This is central to understanding how to discern the truth. Real life begins and ends in the person of Jesus. This is also very important in how you, this is one of the primary purposes of the church. One of the primary purposes of the church is not just to make you feel good and to encourage you, although that is one of several descriptions of our job, but it's actually to prepare you, to arm you with biblical truth so that you can answer this question, who is Jesus To me, there are lots of believers that say I'm saved. I I love Christ. And I know over the years, we've even had uh, people that uh, on the outside, we've, you know, had lead into various places in the church. And the first time something challenged them biblically, all of a sudden they had to answer this question, who is Jesus to me? And he was really just an accessory. Most believers treat Jesus as an accessory. I I don't mind accessories. My wife really likes handbags. How many of y'all like handbags? As you can tell, I really like shoes. Okay, and before you judge, you all have something that you like that you have too many of, so just don't look at me in that tone of voice. Okay, all right, but Jesus is not one of those. Jesus isn't something you put on on Sunday. We talk about this a lot. This is why we're so focused on membership and calling people to commitment. Your life will, your faith will never grow apart from you consuming good things and then contributing in the family of God. We don't need 150 ushers, but 150 people need to ush. Why? Because there's something that happens when we consume and we contribute in the body of Christ. That's one of the primary reasons that we have the church. The next question, who is Christ to me, is who is Christ in me? This looks very similar on its face, but it's not. Because one leads to the other. The question is, who is Christ to me is proven by who is Christ in me. You feel distant, you feel alone from God, but you're a believer. You have the Holy Spirit there. Did you Listen, The spirit in you will grow as much as you feed it. You can feed it or starve it, and that's going to determine whether or not you're successful in your faith and you have the ability to discern. 1 John 4, 4, it says, You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them because the one who is in you, everyone say me, me, is greater than the one who is in the world. I love this. You are from God. This really matters for people. We, we 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 have this epidemic in the church of, of, of believers forgetting that we are children of God. You're children of God. Look what it says. It says, we have conquered them 
meaning that our position is one of victory. Listen, this is low maturity for a believer who every time something bad or difficult happens to them, they're cowering down in the fetal position on the floor. And here's here's what happens if we don't know the truth, if we don't lean in to what God's put in front of us. What ends up happening is we become anemic in our faith and anemic in our position. The words here used to describe conquered and from God are actually military royalty words. We say it this way, you can be a son or daughter of God or a victim of the world, but you cannot be both at the same time. There is no victim in the family of God. There are just sons and daughters, kings and queens, princes and princesses. That's very, very important here. How strong is the Holy Spirit in you? You want it stronger, you've got to feed it. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. That also works in reverse. A lack of faith comes by hearing when you don't prioritize hearing the word of God. Its it's opposite is just as true as it's positive. And we've got to really, as we're going into the fall, we've got to take some time to just go, where have we put our development as believers in our schedule? Where have we put prioritizing God in our lives? John is saying here to the church, the greater one is living on the inside of you. You're not a victim. You're a victor. Challenges may come. Waves of opposition may come. But in Christ, you can be victorious. I would challenge you too, if there's something in your life that's continually not working, chances are it's your fault, not God's. Do you know what I know about God? He's a winner. And if our lives losing consistently, this is the power of the church too. You know what happens in a healthy spiritual family? You keep doing the same dumb thing over and over again. Guess who's going to tell you that you keep doing the same thing over and over again? Somebody who really loves you in the context of relationships, they actually will take the risk to wound you a little bit and say, maybe you need to put your pride down and stop doing it your way and do it God's way. This process in the Bible is called sanctification. You give your life to Christ, but how many of you know you spend your whole life moving towards the image of Christ, letting your old man fall off while you're putting on your own man moving forward to the day when... Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, this old broken bag of bones will be gone and we'll have a much better body. Okay, that's where we're all going. It's so important. In Christ, God has given us everything that we need to overcome in this life. Second Peter chapter one says it this way, that everything you need for life, for godliness, it's already in you, the wisdom, knowledge, the power, the might, the determination, that's cultivating the spirit of God in you. I love the way Paul says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 31 and 37. What then are we to say about these things? What things? Every single thing we worry about. Every single thing that comes against us. If God is for us, who is against us? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Through him who loved us. You're an overcomer based on who lives on the inside of you not based on your ability to be a good Christian. So everyone say, who is Christ to me? me. Then say, who is Christ in me? me? Finally, if we're going to live unmistakably discerning as believers, we need to be able to answer this question. What is truth? What is truth? It all leads down to us being able to tell what is true and what is not. 1 John 4, 6, we are from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us. Anyone who's not from God does not listen to us. This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. Remember, the whole point of this letter, the whole point of this passion, of this, this passage, leads to 
how we as believers learn how to discern truth from deception. We see in verse six, the spirit of truth, the spirit of deception. What is truth? We're gonna be talking a lot about that in the next five weeks, but it's a great question. Culture says that truth is non-existent or relative at best. Culture says that truth is dependent on your situation or subject to your own thoughts, perspectives, and circumstances. But I'm here to tell you today that there is absolute and eternal truth. And it's found in Jesus Christ, who is the Word of God. I don't know if you've ever taken time to think about this, but every time Jesus would describe himself, John in his own gospel would describe Christ this way. He always describes him as the Bible. Jesus is described as the Logos over and over and over again. The reason they actually killed Jesus ultimately wasn't because they didn't think he was a prophet. Many of the Jewish rulers they, he had to be a prophet for what came out of his mouth. They didn't, they didn't even really question that God was with him, for he did all kinds of miracles. There were two miracles that were saved just to prove that he was Messiah, opening the eyes of the blind and the deaf. You never see that in the Old Testament. It was saved just so that God's people could know that he was the Messiah. Ultimately, they crucified him because he claimed to be God, because he is God. This is so important. There was an interaction that the Pharisees were having with him and they were blaming, or they were, they were bragging about their father Abraham. Y'all know that story, Father Abraham had many sons. Well, they were singing that to Jesus, you know, being all mean and ugly. I can imagine Jesus' ears started to get kind of hot. I think that happened. And he started, he finally just looks at him and goes, you say you're Abraham's children. Who do you think talked to Abraham in the Old Testament? That was me. If you knew Abraham, you would know me. And then he says this crazy thing. This is so this is crazy for them. Before Abraham was, I am. It's the name of God. It's, yeah, yeah, but I'm going to tell you, they picked up stones to throw at him because it was so crazy. They couldn't think, oh my, this man, 100% man, is claiming to be God. And yet that's exactly who Jesus is. Look how John describes him in John chapter 114. It says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Every single word, every dot, every passage, this entire book is one unified story about Christ. If there's anything in this book as Christians, as we're learning to discern truth over the span of our life, if there's anything that contradicts his word, guess what? It contradicts Jesus. Jesus is the word. He is the filter. And it's so important as we move into the fall. But there's going to be lots of exciting things. But how many of you know it's going to speed up? It's probably going to be a little crazy sometime around November, I would imagine. The culture is just going to keep steamrolling down its path. Believers more than ever, this is my number one job as a pastor to make sure that you understand how to rightly divide God's word and to make sure that you have a community that when you start to kind of lean to the left or lean to the right, we remember that God's way is the best way. That's what we've got to look for this fall. Truth is found in the person of Jesus and the word of God. You know, as a young believer, I began to see God's word in my life. It's the single most powerful thing you have as a believer to know who God is and to know how to walk in his ways. It reminds me of this passage in John 8, 31. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, you are really my disciples. Look at this. You will know the truth 
and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. Jesus here uses a lot of if and then statements. Anytime you hear or you read an if and then statement, if you do this, this will result. Do you know what happens every single time, 27 and a half years today, that I've put God first in my life? I've become more and more free. The biggest lie the devil ever told is that God's come to take from you. That's actually not true. God wants to give you life and not just eternal life, but the best life now. And as believers, that life is found in Christ. I want to close with one more passage of scripture from Luke chapter 6. I still have plenty of time. <laughs> Luke 6, 46. Jesus is speaking. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my word, and acts on them. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on rock. When, not if, the flood came, the river crashed against that house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not act like this man who built his house on the ground with a, without a foundation, the river crashes against it and immediately it collapses. And the destruction of that house was great. Was great. How do you tell real gold from fool's gold? The teachings of Christ. They're real and you can take them and build your life on them. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much, Lord, for the power of your word. I thank you, God, for what you're doing in our spiritual family, what you're gonna continue to do through us as we move throughout this fall. I thank you for the wonderful testimonies of people coming to know you. I thank you, God, for the incredible opportunity in a dark world to shine a bright light you've given us. You could have picked anybody in any time in history, but you chose us to live here. And God, I really believe, as many in the body of Christ have seen, there is a great awakening coming. And I believe the church, like it has always been, is at the center of it. But first, Lord, you've got to awaken us. Redirect us. Judgment of God starts in the house of God. It starts with us examining our heart and being honest. And I pray that your Holy Spirit this week would speak to each of us and, and, and lead us, guide us, lean into those areas of our life that maybe we need to adjust. That one thing that if we change today would change a lot of things. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would continue to empower us to live the faith that you've so graciously given us. As heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one looking around, we're almost finished. I believe one of the most important things we do as a church family every single week in every service at every location is we provide a place and a space for people who are far from God to draw near to him. I'm here to tell you something. If you're in here and you're straddling the fence, you think you can have a little bit of Jesus like an accessory and still live with a foot in the world, your life will never be what it could be. And ultimately, what you're building will crash. I can save you so much time, so much energy, and so much pain. Put Jesus first. It's the best way to live. Lean into his word. Build your life on the foundation of the rock. As heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one looking around. The word of God tells us that if you're in here and you're far from him, how to be made right with him. It's not through your own strength. It's through your free will. You making a decision. The Bible says if with your own mouth you confess that Jesus is Lord, Lord means above everything. Above everything. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that what the Bible says about him is true, that he died for your sins, that he defeated death to give you life. The Bible says from that act of free will, you will be saved. And then from there, the life you've always dreamed of results. 
but you've got to put him first. As heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one looking around. I'm, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to single you out. We don't have the time or the space. But I, th- I do think it's important that you acknowledge that between me, you, and God. Jesus said that if you acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before my Father. But if you refuse to acknowledge me before men, I will not acknowledge you before my Father. If you're in here today and you say, Pastor, that's me. I'm far from God. Would you pray for me? Would you just put your hand up halfway and put it right back down? Is there anybody here you say, that's me? I see you. I see you. Just put it up, put it right back down. I see you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. It's the most important decision you can ever make. Is there anyone else? You say, Pastor, that's me. No more halfway. No more lukewarm. I'm committing to God this fall. I'm giving it everything I've got. Is there anybody else? You say, Pastor, that's me. Just put your hand up and put it right back down. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you. In a moment, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. As a matter of fact, if you raise your hand, the people sitting next to you, we're going to actually pray this prayer out loud with you so as to encourage your faith. But if you did raise your hand, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. That's the starting point. For some of you, maybe a restart. And I want to encourage you as I lead you in this prayer to allow the very word of God to be an expression of why you raised your hand, to allow these words to be an act of your own free will, surrendering your life to Christ and inviting him to come in to your life. I believe on the other side of this prayer, God's going to tell you to do something. He's going to give you a step. Here's my encouragement to you. Do what he says. We're also going to give you some next steps. I'm personally going to give you some steps at the end of this prayer. But right now, mean it with all of your heart. I believe your best life's on the other side. Church, we believe in what they're doing. Let's pray this prayer all together. Everyone pray, Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth, for living a perfect life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I believe that you are God. And I believe you're good. I believe on the third day after you were killed that you rose from the dead. I believe you defeated death once and for all to give me eternal life once and for all. Today I choose life. Today I make you my Lord, my Savior, and my King. Lead me and guide me. Today is a new day. It's in your name that we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Come on, church. Let's give it up for everybody who did that. Man, super excited. Before we get up and leave, I actually have something I want to talk to everybody about, so just sit still. You guys will be all right. A couple minutes. If you made that decision, it was so, so important. What's next is everything. You need to continue to be faithful to the two simple things. You know, sometimes we overcomplicate simple things so we don't have to do hard things. The first thing you need to do is you need to prioritize coming back every single week. You need to be here. Every event, every church service. And that's not just for us. As you can see, we're already out of space. That's for you. God has a plan for you. You will not discover it apart from God's people. You've got to continue to stay connected. The next thing that I want you to do, I wrote a 21-day devotional several years ago that we now use for all of our folks starting or restarting, kind of kick-starting their faith. I sat down and I, I said, hey, what are, what are like... What are the things every believer needs to know? You don't need to know everything, but there are some things you really need to know if you're going to be successful in this next chapter of your life. I want to encourage you, as everybody goes that way, I want you to come this way and and come up. Our prayer team here has a copy of that book. It's free. Um, There's some great resources that you can listen to throughout the week. I want to encourage you in the next several weeks, really lean into learning more about the decision that you made. You've got to make sure that you go down and you get planted. That decision is yours, and it's through repetitive action, uh, doing the small things over and over again. So come up and come back. Uh, it's really important. Can we give it up one more time for everybody who did that? Yeah. 
Some of you guys are wondering why I'm still up here. Usually I'm gone by now, uh, but I have something I really just want to lean into. You know, um, the last probably six, nine months, I've really been praying about the things uh, going on in our culture. I've been working with our teaching team, our lead pastors across all of our locations, and uh, we've really designed this next series, the next five weeks, to help give you a biblical, theological understanding of what's going on. I'm just telling you, you will face the topics uh, in this next series we're going to be talking about. This means war. We're going to be covering all kinds of different things. As a matter of fact, our team put together a little bit of a, a bumper here. Why don't you take a look, and I'll tell you more about it in just a second. We're starting a new series next week, and I want to make sure that every single one of you know how important it is that you're here, that you participate, that you lean in. We're going to be talking about biblical truth uh, through all kinds of things that our culture has really declared war on, including God, uh, objective truth, our families, education, government. Yes, we're going to go there. We're going, we want to give you a biblical framework for engaging culture uh, this fall. Will you stand to your feet? I want to pray for you as we dismiss. The next five weeks, I think, are going to be really, really important. I want to encourage you to be here every single week. Of course, if you're traveling, uh, you can also uh, hit those several days after uh, online. I also want to encourage anybody who's in here that doesn't like to be surrounded like this with people, we have plenty of room in our 830 service. I know it's a little earlier, but there's a lot, lot of room, and there's a lot of pastors who save their best for last. I don't. I get it out of the way at the very beginning. And so that's always the better service. So I want to encourage you, if you like a little bit of extra room, especially as we go into a fall and you really love God and you can get up a little earlier, would you please do that? We're going to need space. We do have a plan for a new auditorium and all kinds of things coming. Uh, we're going to be talking about that in October. But until then, we have to do what we got to do to make room for people who are really, really hungry for the truth. And so let me pray for you and then we'll dismiss. God, I thank you so much for each and every person. I thank you, Father, for the season that we're going in as a church. I pray, God, that you would bless every single person here to the degree that they put you first. I pray, God, you would give them courage and faith to put you first, Father, to stand on your word and to be a bright light to a dark world. I pray, Father, everything we do this week would bring glory and honor to you. And everybody said, amen. Thanks for hanging out with us. Have a great week. You're just